Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Or any club's fans ringing up, just <laughs> chucking their two cents worth in. So you had Watford fans, you had Millwall, QPR, you had all our rivals chucking their two cents worth in, picking our next manager. And there was Brilliant. nothing the fans could do about it. <laughs> Welcome back to It's Always Us with me, James Regal, and me, Jane McDonald. Another week, James. How's it going? It's all right, Jamie. It's all right. Another week, and another week, sadly, without you on the main podcast. Where is your commitment? Well, it just so happens that you have it at time. I, I work, unlike somebody. So, you know, my schedule is very busy with, you know, work and more work. Not a problem for you, James. No, he's a very important man with very important work to do. And I absolutely, I am an unemployed podcaster in his late 30s, mm-hmm. such as life. Uh, but on a brighter note, it's lovely to see you. We're obviously, we're on Zoom again uh, as well. Yeah. You're not next to me here. Do you miss me? Um, uh, short answer, no. Long answer, tremendously. Okay. Not really sure what to say to that. Uh, <laughs> before we get into this week's episode, obviously, quickly thank our sponsors, the Natural Barber Company, uh, purveyors of fantastic all-natural hair products with zero chemicals. They're vegan. They're very, very friendly to your scalp. And also, they give you... God, how do the kids say it? A banging... No. How do you... A banging barnet? Yeah. Back to, no, kids In don't trim. say that. Yeah. Uh, not dead trim. What's the opposite of a dead trim? I'm showing my a age. Thick trim. Thick tri- trim. It makes your hair look nice, basically. Yeah. Kids, fellow kids. Mm. Um, yeah. So there are <laughs> there are sponsors, um, and if you want to check them out, go to naturalbarber.co or follow them on Instagram, Natural Barber Company. Uh, and because they're sponsors, they give our listeners an amazing deal. You can get 25% off your order. Uh, plus free next day UK delivery. So just at checkout, enter in the promotion code always us 25 and Natural Barber will give you some pretty cool hair products for 25% off. Thanks, guys. So, mm. Jamie. Yes. Uh, I guess we should talk about some football stuff. Um, mm, we should. In the little preamble, I, I, I mentioned... I mentioned the handball rule. I wondered what your view was on that. Obviously, right now, you find it pretty hilarious. Oh, I love it. Uh, I think it's great. Right. But you never know when it's come back, going to come back to get you. So, No, that's true. I mean, I, uh, you know, obviously, the, the main... Obviously, I wasn't happy that... The, was it Man United? They, they won a game in sort of after the whistle had gone. Am I right in, in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Against Brighton. Uh, so, I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's right. The, you know, the game finishes, the game's finished, you know. Uh, but obviously, you know, Tottenham drawing a game in the last minute, thanks to a very dodgy decision. Great. Fantastic. I mean, if that could happen every week, that would be awesome. But unfortunately, like, you know... Go on. 
I feel like it does. Mm. And I was, I, was, I was on our social straight after just basically saying it is always Tottenham. Because yeah. the thing is, mate, it's not even the handball. Like, you can argue his hand was up, you know, whatever. It could have been offside, whatever. What annoyed me about that was there was the free kick given in the first place, which apparently now what you can do is you can pass the ball 12 yards to your right, uh, not a one-two, just pass it, and then dive headfirst into the defender, knocking him over, and, and win a free kick. So I'm looking forward to us adopting that tactic uh, in weeks mm. to come because clearly it's, it's very effective. Um, I'd ask you, Arsenal, getting on, but I just don't care. Um, <laughs> but I see the Europa League. Are we, above, are we above you? Are we above you? Are we above you in the table? I've no idea. I've, I've not looked at the league table yet. It's too early. Okay. But we got that's probably, that's probably why. We've had, we've had our Europa League draws today. We've managed to avoid yes, too many we have. ones. I don't know about you guys. What kind of far reaches of world? Yeah, we're playing like mould. Mould, we're definitely playing mould. Um, and I can't remember, I think Rapid Vienna as well. You know, all the, all the top European heavyweights. Yeah. Uh, as you are as well. Yeah. But yes. Oh, yeah, we are. We are above Tottenham. Just looking at the, the Premier League table now, James. Ooh, Spurs all the way down in eighth. Arsenal seething up, soaring the table in fifth. Um, but yeah, who, who have we got on this week, James? Who, who are our guests? So our guests this week, Jamie, are Luton fans. Well, actually, I'm, I'm underselling that a bit. So they are both Luton fans, but one of them actually played for Luton for his entire career. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing that he agreed to come on the show. Uh, Marvin Johnson. Uh, ah, big Marv. Yeah, big Marv. Legendary Luton left back. And uh, my mate Andy, uh, who now runs a podcast with him, which, which they'll tell us about on the episode. Um, Andy's pretty much my only link to Luton Town, the only reason I ever kind of look out to their results, he's, he's a very good friend of mine. Uh, mm-hmm. What about you, Jamie? Any, any links to Luton at all? Well, yes. This was actually the, the team that my parents gave me uh, when I was born. You know, because uh, we, we lived near... My, both my parents are from the Midlands, on different sides of the Midlands, so obviously I can't support either of their teams for family reasons. So we lived near Luton at the time, and Luton was sort of doing quite well in the championship. Um, a lot of history, a lot of, quite a lot of success. And this, yeah, it was, it was my first team. Um, and obviously, as you'll see in, in the episode, some of the things they talk about, it, it made watching Luton very, very hard, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but I have to say that the final one they talk about, I think it's one of my favourites uh, that we've had on the show so far, just for its just utter bonkersness, basically. Like, I just, mm. it was... It was quite incredible. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I will be putting a link to... Uh, it was captured for, for a documentary, which you can see on YouTube, which I'll put on our, uh, our social media after this goes out. Speaking of our social media, before we get going, guys, please do follow us on at It's Always Us Pod on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we really want to hear from you. Send us some feedback. Uh, our DMs are open. Or you can email us at uh, It's Always Us Pod at gmail.com. Um, let us know how much you love the show or hate the show or want us to shut up at the beginning or yeah. how sexy Jamie is or, or well, anything. Mm, any, any mad thoughts you might have. Yeah, and, and if you want to get involved as well, if you want to get, put your team on the show and talk us through how it's always your team that gets the rough end of the decisions, then yeah, get in touch with us. I'm looking forward to this episode, James. Me too. Or should we get into it then, mate? 
Let's do it. All right, here we go. Luton Town, it's always us. So welcome Andy and Marv to It's Always Us podcast. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. Thank you. Thanks very much, James. So this is quite an interesting one for me because I think this is the first podcast we've done between uh, across three different continents. So as our <laughs> listeners know, I record here in Barcelona. We've got Marv in the US and Andy in Australia. So uh, as I look at the guys now on our screen, we've got one who's just got out of bed, one who's about to go to bed, and me who looks like I just got out of bed, but I've actually been up for about <laughs> seven hours. So uh, thanks for joining, guys. <laughs> no, our pleasure. I mean, it's, it's more easier for me, I feel, James, because Andy's already been up for most of the day. I've just woken up and I'm now getting ready for the rest of the day. So poor well, Andy. And, and start with you, Mark, because, you know, obviously you're, you're a legendary, and we're going to talk about Luton today, you're a legendary Luton Town player, ex-player. But what are you doing over in the United States? I'm coach, and I'll, actually I came over here around about, 2014 and got the opportunity to come across and coach opportunities in England wasn't that great at the time and so um I took the opportunity to come across here met an English guy who ran a they call it travel soccer here and joined up with him in 2014. And who, who are you coaching right now? Um FC Virginia the club's called well St James FC Virginia is called at the moment and I coach girls and boys but at the moment it's mainly girls and how have you how have you found that this, this might be a really old question i'm sure it's come on a long a long way in the last year but have you how do you find coming as an english professional footballer moving to a country which you know it's not their first sport i think it's fair to say it's getting more popular um are they being really receptive ideas are you, are you have you brought any of that sort of british style of play to the to the boys and girls in america I've I've tried to. I mean, before I obviously left to come to America, I was coach at Luton and was there for many years, as 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 you just said. Like, and um, I've tried to do the same thing what I've done in England or wherever I've been, James. Actually, coaching wise, I've treated the girls and the boys who I've coached exactly the same as I would any players I coach at Luton. I showed them that respect, and I say to them, look, I mean, I'm going to do the same sort of drills I did was back in England because. I respect you and I want to test you to the best of your abilities. And they're, they're, they're going to be playing the Luton Town way, do you think? I mean, I grew up as, even from when I was like in the youth team playing and that, and that was instilled in you. I mean, pass and move, pass and move. That's all I kept hearing from David Coates, my youth team manager. And then once he got into the first team, it was David Pleat. You know, just keep the ball moving, keep the ball moving. And, and I often find myself on the touchline saying exactly the same sort of thing. I mean, you can't play the game for him. And David Pleat never told us where to pass the ball or what to do, but it was like, keep the moving, keep the ball moving sort of thing. So, you, you'll see an interesting way in how, like, my teams play. But to be honest with you, James, we, as a club, we play that way anyway. So I was, I was very fortunate to come to this big country and find a club that was the way how Luton played sort of, sort of way. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, of course, you know, I think, was it around 440 appearances for Luton Town? Is that right? Most of those yes, in the somewhere around, somewhere around the 400 mark, yeah. And so, not, you know, you're on here, I guess, 
more uh, on this podcast from a fan perspective as well. But were you always a Luton fan? I, funny enough, I, I went to watch Luton back in, I think it was 1981, my first game. My best friend, Dad, um, from school, he, he took me and my best friend because he was an Aston Villa fan. I remember him at the time. And they were playing Luton at Luton. And he goes, oh, look, we've got, we've got some tickets to go to go and watch Luton. And so we went to watch the game. And that was my, and actually, it was my first experience of McDonald's. McDonald's, I think, had just come to sort of like town. I think I was a little bit more excited as a young kid going to McDonald's because I've never had McDonald's before. And I saw McDonald's. And literally, before the game, I had, I think, six Six cheeseburgers I had. I can remember I had six cheeseburgers. I, I thought, oh my gosh, look, there's McDonald's. I've got to have a McDonald's. And so I had McDonald's before the game. And I think the game was, I think Luton actually won 2-1. But from then on, I started to look out for the results. But I was more uh, a Liverpool fan when uh, when I was growing up. So, I mean, that, that, that came about, again, I might be showing my age now, in 19... 77 was my first real FA Cup final. I remember watching and getting up and watching the build-up for the day and seeing the game and Manchester United beat Liverpool 2-1. And I was a bit of a like, oh, I felt sorry for Liverpool on the day. So I thought, that's the team I'm going to support. And that's why I supported Liverpool. All right. I think they call that positive reinforcement, right? So like, you know, you take your kid <laughs> to a game, give them a good experience before. So you're just like, right, mm, McDonald's. I like McDonald's. Luton Town. I guess I like that. <laughs> That's awesome. And then, and then sort of last one on this, but I'd, I'm interested because we, we had Mickey Hazard on, on here talking about Tottenham and he's, he's still very much connected to Tottenham and, and the club. But I wonder what it's like from your perspective to go from, a, a, I guess you're a one club man, more or less, yeah. playing all those games for Luton, transitioning from a player for a club to a fan of a club. So I think as fans, we often feel like a slightly removed from it. Like we know our club, like the back of our hand, but we don't really know it because we've not played there. We've not worked there. So how does that feel moving? You know, I, I assume you now, you know, you, you watch out for loot and you watch their games. Yes. Um, do you feel like you have a, a different perspective or if you kind of easily slotted into just sort of being an everyday fan? Or just moan at stuff, even though you know that actually they're probably trying their hardest behind the scenes. No, I mean, I, I think I think from being an ex-player, it, it helps in a way that if I see any negativity or post or people having little digs or whatever regarding players or the club, I try and be the positive one and stick up for them because I know I've been there, I've experienced, and like you, you get the odd one where, oh. We were shit, sadly. Oh, the players don't give a toss and all that. And I'm thinking, well, I can actually tell you, listen, I played and every single game, those players go out, they care. I mean, they might not perform to the best of the ability. And obviously we understand that these hard-earned working people who work from nine to five jobs go out and they save some of their money to get season tickets and then they turn up on a Saturday to watch a game because that's what their lives are all about. I mean... They, they, they're going to literally go and watch the team they support. I get that there's going to be frustrations and they're going to be disappointed if we don't play well, but no one, I can guarantee, goes out there and plays badly on purpose. Yeah, so, so you're a bit more, bit more forgiving of a, of a bad yeah, performance then. Definitely, 100%, James, 100%. All right, and speaking of Luton Town fans, I'm going to cross over to Andy now. 
probably the first Luton fan I ever met and the last. Uh, and we met in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> and that's no slight on the club. It's, it's, you know, I just don't come across many Luton fans. Um, and uh, Marv, you might know this, might not know this even, but I first met Andy at university. And uh, I, I believe the first time we met Andy, you were wearing an Arsenal shirt. Uh, yes. Uh, adorned with some gold chains and a beanie hat. And we were at an audition for a dance show, Marv, because uh, I'm a dancer. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, <laughs> a, da- a, a charity dancing show. Uh, it, and of course, we both passed the audition with flying colours, didn't we, mate? But I, a good, you know, great charity event, that one. It was for charity as well. It was a great charity. charity. Well, what sort of dance was it, though? Was it classical? What, what, oh, what was all it? kinds, mate. I mean, Andy, take it away. Go on. Oh, it, it was it was all sorts. It was um, we mostly joined up to be honest with you for the for the ladies. Um, that was probably one of the biggest drivers. Um, but it was no, it was great fun, and it was like I said, it was a charity. It was a way of just chucking ourselves into anything and all sorts of dancing, Marv. All sorts from okay. a bit of pop, bit of um, bit of boy band, all the way through to a bit of grease. It was basically there for a bit of fun. It was good, good laugh. It was. Oh, cool. But sorry to digress on that a little bit. But um, I think, Andy, you know, we, we went on to live together. And I think I much preferred you as you transitioned away from this, like, pretending to be an Arsenal fan into <laughs> going back to your full Luton roots. And by the end, I think, you, I think you, were more, you were way more Luton than you were Arsenal. You just used to try and wind me up about Arsenal. But you live in Australia yeah. now uh, and you run two podcasts. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, run two podcasts. I've been over in Australia since 2011. Um, and run a couple of podcasts over here. So uh, first one I set up was um, called It's Not Called Soccer, which was which is still running. Um, it's a weekly review show, um, which looks at A-League in Australia and also the Premier League. Um, and then the second one, which I've, um, which myself and Marv uh, kind of met through It's Not Called Soccer, and we've set up an, another podcast, which, which is going great guns, um, only two and a half weeks old really in terms of um, releasing episodes and things like that and I've had some fantastic feedback um, and that podcast is called My Best 11 um, which uh, is absolutely going great guns and the idea behind that is we have ex-players on, um, ex-coaches, um, managers, um, some celebrities, things like that, naming really their their best 11 players they've ever played with. That's the premise behind it. It's really, really great to hear some of the stories from those players. I mean, we, we had some, we've had some great names um, come on so far. We've had people like Steve Howard, uh, Carl Emerson, Scott Oakes, um, John Hartson. Um, and then we've got some, some really, really great names coming up. So it, it's great to hear the Luton stories because obviously being a Luton fan and Marvel also being a Luton fan, um, but it's also really great to hear hear um a little bit about a little bit about other clubs um and training regimes and things like that so yeah absolutely love it and absolutely love the banter that marv um is able to draw <laughs> out of them from no because no, you know them so marv knows some yeah. of these players it's great to have some banter from that so yeah um that's kind of what i'm doing right now nice yeah i was saying before we start recording i've, I've been listening to a few of those and i urge our listeners to check them out they've really interesting different perspective on some of these players and their careers and some great really funny stories from the dressing room as well so really enjoying that uh, but we're here today to talk about Luton Town uh, and why it's always us for Luton Town um, Andy you sent me your your list of three uh, sort of top moments that kind of 
illustrate that. So why don't we crack on with the first one if you want to take us away? Yeah, so I'll go, um, I'll talk about the first one. And I think um, the second one's probably best done from Marv as a player because he kind of lived through it as a player. Um, but the first one um, for us was, um, I don't know, I think it was quite well publicised about 12 years ago. Uh, the club was started um, a whole season on minus 30 points. And it was a really, really sore point for the club. Um, it had been building for a number of years. We'd had well, five, six years of success, real success. Um, had a couple, couple of promotions in the space of three or four years. Um, got to the championship, done fantastically in the championship um, under some big, big players, um, even players such as Curtis Davis, Leon Barnett, Kevin Foley, so just to name a few players who people probably kind of household names, really. Um, and then what happened was uh, because the, F the FA and the EFL decided to penalise us um, minus 30 points, that was 10 points for um, apparently some agents, um, some Ill illegitimate agency fees, which, by the way, we told the FA about. So we self kind of dis self kind of admitted and we still got absolutely wrapped over the knuckles. Um, and at the same time, bear in mind, this was the same time that West Ham had broken a third party agreement with Mascherano and Tevez and got a slap on the wrists, um, a small little fine in, in perspective. And then they decided to dock us another 20 on top of that because we'd gone into administration. But we'd already been docked 10 points for administration the season before for going into administration. But then coming back out of it, we then got to dock another 20. So we started off the season on minus 30, which was an absolute farce of... And do you know what it was as a Luton fan? It was, it was the inconsistency. If they were the rules, they were the rules. That's fine. But you look before then, the rules were laid out differently for other clubs. And you look at the rules since then, Nobody has been hit with anything like that type of figure. And that's what is the big bugbear for the club um, is, is the, and the fans is the inconsistency. What, why do you think they did that to Luton in particular? Were they trying to make an example with you or did you just not have good enough lawyers? Oh, Marv, I'll let you have it. I mean, you, you were around <laughs> the club around there. No but, no, but you were around the club around then. I mean... No, what, I, what I, your just, thoughts? I, I just left, Andrew. I just left. Um, oh, but I think when, leading up to it as well. Yeah, I know. I, know. I mean, <clears throat> Phil James is not outside of Luton, the, the club, in my opinion, everyone's perceptive is, oh, it's little old Luton. Don't matter. We can do whatever we want. Like, that's my perspective on, on me growing up being a player and being a supporter of that is we can do whatever we want because it's only Luton. Now, if it was like Manchester United or Liverpool, that, that would never have happened, those 30 points. Never have happened because, obviously, of the stature of their club. And that, and that it's very black and white to me. That's, that's how I see it. Yeah, because you've had, I mean, more recently you've had, um, who was it that got dot point? Was it Wigan? I'm showing my knowledge Wigan. here. It was Wigan, isn't yeah. it? They got, but yeah. they, what was theirs? Like 19 or something like that? It wasn't, it wasn't 30, that's for sure. No, and they were allowed to decide. Uh, also, the the EFL decided yeah. to, and they, uh, and retrospectively now they've tried to make it a bit more consistent. But I mean, it, it was the frustrating time around then that that we got so the same season we got docked thirty, Rotherham got docked eighteen, and Bournemouth got docked eighteen in the same league. Um, but you also then had the season before us, you had Leeds who were docked minus ten. 
And the reason they gave was we went into administration three times in the space of 10 years. Where that rule had come from, nobody <laughs> knows. That had never been said before. But Leeds had also been in administration three times in the space of seven years. Because it was Leeds and yeah. Don Revy, the, and the Don Revy era and the Leeds team that 10 years earlier or five years earlier had been in the Champions League semi-finals. No, 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 we can't do it to Leeds all marching on together. And this isn't a dig at Leeds. <laughs> this is a dig at the... No, but this is a dig at the rules and the inconsistency yeah. of the rules. They got docked minus 10. We got docked minus 20 for the same thing. So what, what effect... And I, do, I know there are fans that will listen to this and say it's all about compulsory voluntary administration, 16 pence in the pound, the tax man, etc. I get that. But it was the inconsistency. That's what bugged Luton fans was the lack of consistency of the rules. So what... What effect does that have on you lot as a, as a fan base like in the stadium or, or outside when you start a season on minus 30? And the, and the player, I don't know if you, Marv, if you had any insight into how the players felt, but is it just a sort of a feeling of like, well, fuck it then. <laughs> like you've no. literally got nothing to lose at all. Well, I was, I was still close to a lot of the players and, and, and the staff there, James, when that, ha- that happened. And as normal, um, being like... Luton, we, we were used to it. Uh, it was a case of like, we thought, well, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and let's have a good guy. And I can remember, we went, they got close. I mean, they would have, they would have stayed up. I mean, if it wasn't like for those points, I mean, they, we took a big chunk out of it quite early on in the season, I remember. And so it was a case of like, anything which was anyone against us, it was never like a case of, fuck it, round this down. It was a case of like, let's roll your sleeves up, right? And let's have the right good guy in it. You know what I mean? I think that's when you really saw the best of Luton on the field and off the field with the supporters when our backs were against the wall. Yeah, I mean, it must, yeah. it must have a bit of a galvanising effect then if, you know, you feel that hard done by and like, you know, you literally got nothing to lose. You're almost certainly no. going to go down. So why not? Why not do your best? Well, we, had a bra- we actually had to get a brand new squad. I remember going to watch a pre-season friendly about three weeks before the start of the season. And we had no players left. All the players had left. And we had maybe four or five players had stayed. But we had to bring in so many trialists. And there were some great clubs. Don't get me wrong. There were some clubs. Norwich, I remember, explicitly lent us uh, quite a few really great players. Um, and there were a couple of other clubs that lent us some players. Um, that were really, really vocal about this and against what had happened. But they were one voice in, in the other, um, obviously, kind of 72 clubs of the EFL. Uh, so, yeah, we had to start from scratch. But then, as Marv said, the biggest two fingers up that we gave to the EFL was that whole season, we then went to and won the um, what was then the Johnson's Paint Trophy, yeah. which is, for the Football League, their biggest event. And we then went to Wembley and filled out half of Wembley. We had, if you look at the photos of it, any people listening, go and look at the photo of the Luton end compared to the Scunthorpe end. It was an absolute farce. And I know I spent the night, I was actually, I remember it was your birthday, James, the night before. Um, and we went out for your birthday. And that, that next day I went up to Wembley and it was incredible. Half the whole of Wembley was full of Luton fans, all three levels, the whole thing. Scunthorpe took 10, 12,000. They had barely the bottom half of the, of the bottom level full. And we could have sold out the whole of Wembley ourselves. That's how much of a middle finger we gave. So we then go and play the team that's top of League One and beat them, even though we were bottom of League Two. So the yeah. highest ranked team versus the lowest ranked team. So it was a massive... And the whole time the fans just sang, 
um, 30 points, who gives a fuck with Luton Town and we're staying up. And we didn't end up staying up, but that whole thing against the EFL is a massive thing. And you'll still hear it a chance. You still look at Luton ground. Those of you people who are listening have watched the Man United game in the, in the Carabao Cup recently um, or any of the Luton games. They'll still see flags everywhere saying fuck the FA or the EFL particularly. And, and Mawinney, <laughs> you mentioned his name around the club, Brian Mawinney, and, because he was chairman. And he explicitly said so many things, so many negative things about us. Really? Yeah, I mean- it, was, it felt very much pointed at Luton. Right. So it's a bit of a vendetta there, maybe. It felt like it. <laughs> it's like, we're not saying there's a vendetta, there's a vendetta. <laughs> so, I mean, that, we'll get on to one a bit later, which, which is also about the club's finances. But from, from what sort of little I do know about Luton, they always seem to be in the conversation about administration and finances. And look, I, I know there's a lot of clubs that have hovered in the lower leagues and even in the conference, you guys are in for a bit you know, that, that have to struggle. But is this, is this endemic of, of Luton Town, at least in your memory, that you guys just can never seem to quite get the money thing together? Or is it a wider thing in, in, the, in the football league? I think it's a, it's a wider thing, James. And right now, I think Luton Town are in a good place with the 2020 who came on board and, mm. like you said, um, rescued the club from another issue, what we had later on coming up from the man Gurney. But um, I think we're in a good place now because the people running the club know exactly what we need to do to move forward and not never end up back in that situation where we go into administration. So look, why don't we, why don't we get on to the second one? Um, so Andy, I think you said I was going to lead on this. Is that? Yes. The, the, um, it's about the Littlewoods Cup. The Littlewoods Cup. Oh, the Littlewoods, oh, the Littlewoods Cup one. I'm oh, a Littlewoods Cup one. Yeah, I mean, that was... And Europe, bloody Liverpool. Europe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we got, was it um, 1985, the clubs got banned for five years from Europe. Yeah. Uh, the, the Heysel disaster, where obviously a lot, a lot of people lost their lives. And although it was just one club. I mean, it was Liverpool who and their supporters. I, I feel that it was very harsh for other clubs to bear the brunt of other supporters, I mean, so to speak, to turn around and band initially, I think Liverpool were indefinitely. And then it was 10 years they got and then all of a sudden now it's down to six years it was down to and then the other English clubs for five years I just don't understand how how they brought other clubs English clubs into this punishment when it was one club it wasn't like Liverpool Manchester United Luton um, Coventry or Sorry, sorry. Everton. Uh, we had an Everton fan on a few weeks ago, and they, it was one. I think one of their best sides of all time, and yeah, they never got to play in in the European Cup. It's crazy how I mean, how that can come up. It really is, and like from a player's point of view, like I mean, winning the Littlewoods Cup and being involved in some of those games. The following year, we don't get to play in Europe, and obviously, don't get the experience. I didn't experience the opportunity to go and play 
on foreign soil in a European competition, which would have been fantastic um, for me to do as a player. Yeah, I'm interested. Like, so is there like a generation of players, you being in it, that, you know, and I don't want to take away at all from the tragedy of what happened there and the people who lost their lives, but I certainly, I know there's a lot of fans of clubs who are affected that are, that are very bitter about that. Is there a generation of players that missed out on Europe that, that have a... I mean, you said you supported Liverpool when you were little. Do you have any hard feelings towards the club or the fans? Or is it... no, no, again, I'm, I'm very laid back, James, as I said, and, and there's always going to be idiots, right? Wherever you go in the world, idiots, right? as, as I call them. So, therefore, I wouldn't be like thinking, well... Liverpool, I, I feel a little bit animosity towards them because obviously they're the ones that cause the problem. They're the ones that cause the reason why we're all banned from Europe. It's, it's, it's a, ha- I mean, a handful, whatever you want to call it. It's idiots, just idiots. And you get them in, you get them in. Liverpool, you, you'll get them at Luton, all right? Obviously, I love Luton, but there's always going to be some idiots at some clubs who are going to go out of their way to cause trouble, to be destructive. And so I wouldn't hold them accountable um, Liverpool them themselves, just a, a minority of few of people who have just gone out of their way to just cause trouble and destruction. So, so how did that? So, I mean, obviously, winning winning Littlewoods Cup would have been a major high in and of itself, right? Um, yes. So, how much of it did it take away the European thing? How important was it for you uh, as a player to to want to play a trade uh, in European matches? I, I think with it. Being in 1985, the, I mean, initially, I think mean, June the 2nd or whenever it was, that they announced it. It was, you, it was three years afterwards, the, the Littlewoods Cup. So by then, it come round and there was no, if, we, if I think if it had been the, the exact year after we got banned, it might have affected me a lot more because you'd be watching the games and more intense and more involved and seeing how different clubs had been doing in Europe, different English clubs, whereas it's three years later, so there's no English clubs playing. So I think a little bit it become the norm that we weren't playing in Europe. And so by the time we won the Littlewoods Cup, it was a case where you didn't really, you didn't really think about it too much, to be honest. I didn't anyway, because we weren't playing in it. And it was more of a case where we were delighted to have won the Cup and we're now trying to focus on the following season. So I think it was been a, a year after that we got banned. It might have been a lot more different. And was it was it the cup winners with cup winners cup you would have been in or the UEFA Cup? I can't remember when. I'm not sure. It I mean, would have like been I Cup Winners Cup, yeah. Cup winners cup. All right, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put, I pose a hypothetical for you now, Marv. And and you <laughs> actually. So so there's no there's no European ban. Luton Town get to play in the Cup Winners Cup. Uh, against some of Europe's bigger sides and smaller sides, but bigger sides, where would Luton Town, but well, would would Luton Town's position in the next 10, 20 years in English football be different if you'd been able to play in that European competition? Do you think? I don't probably I don't not. Think so. I, don't, I don't think it would have. No, no, no. I don't think so. But oh, as I, a I fan, give, I, I give they, the players, hype. the players earned the right. That's what, that's what the bugbear is again. The players earned the right to do it. And the fans, therefore, earned the right to pay in the, over the, like Miles said, nine to five jobs 
the fans earned the right to be able to go and see it. And it's not just the players and the fans. It's the coaching staff. It's the boot man. It's the tea man. It's the club secretary, et cetera, et cetera. They all put hard work in. And that season, they didn't get their just rewards for it. It's a bit like... Um, you kind of, it's a bit like not getting your Christmas bonus because yeah. one bloke decided to spend his Christmas bonus on gambling one year and therefore nobody gets it ever again because in case everybody everybody else might spend it on gambling kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's pretty it's... bad analogy, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think when that might have ever... Maybe gambled everyone's Christmas bonus. Or everyone yeah, just yeah, got pissed, went down the casino and put it all on black. Um, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> It was it was a good attempt, <laughs> and obviously, yeah, you're missing out on that. Is gutting. I'm trying to think back now, who even won the Cup Winners' Cup in '88, or who who would have been playing in those teams? Um, in PSV or something like that, I think. Yeah, or I mean, Mar- or a back then. It was a lot of the Yugoslavian teams were quite big, weren't they? Yeah, Marv as a left back, was there anyone in Europe you thought you you know you would have feared coming up against, or is anyone that was that was highly rated that you would have? you would really love to kind of have a go at and uh, show him a little bit of that Marvin Johnson uh, defending. <laughs> Again, I mean, it's difficult to, to think back to the time of who was playing around in Europe and who was like internationally like established at different clubs. Because like I said, James, it was three years later and, and because we didn't, we knew we weren't going to be involved in Europe. You didn't really think about it in that way. I mean, it would have been fantastic to have got the opportunity to go into that stage. And, and it's no different from a, a little bit, I suppose, playing when week in, week out. Back then, we were in the first division, the old, which is now the English Premier League. And it was a case where it was normal. I was, I mean, probably took it for granted because looking at where the club is now and we've just got like, the championship and where we were down non-league, I mean, I, it was the norm for me to be like with the Manchester United, with the Liverpools, with the Chelsea's. And I was very fortunate to to have a career where I played in the, in the top league. And so now if it, it happened, like they did play Man United the other day, I'm sure there would have been players who were desperate to, to, get, to get shirts of Rad, Radford and Rashford and um, Mata and all that. Whereas myself playing at Chelsea one week and then you're playing at... Hybrid back then, you weren't looking to swap shirts because we were on equal terms with that them teams. It wasn't a it wasn't a big thing to play Arsenal or Liverpool. So, um, I mean, it's interesting. I was just having a quick so the that the cup final that year was between Mechelen of Belgium and Ajax. Wow. Uh, and Mechelen won apparently one nil, <clears> but I'm looking at who you might have faced on on that side. So I've. Don't know this bloke, but he was the captain. He started right wing is John Vanteship. I probably absolutely right. mullered that name there. But on the bench, <laughs> another young right winger at the time, uh, one Dennis Burkamp, who, uh, wow. who never actually got on. You know, so I think you'd have was had it, Burkamp. That... I think you'd have had Burkamp, especially that if he was, was like in 16. The, uh, 16, yeah, he was, he was young, but he obviously, for, for 16, he must have been very talented. I mean... I, mean, that's guess. I don't know how old he was in 88, but I'm imagining not very. And was he on the bench for Ajax then? Is that Ajax? Was yeah, he... yeah, he was, on the, he was on the bench in the cup final, but he didn't play. He didn't play. Right. Uh, has he got the team there, James? What's that? Just, has he got the team, the Ajax team there? Yeah, yeah. So the ones I'd heard of, 
is uh, I don't know Dutch football of the 80s very well. But Aaron, is Aaron Winter there? Aaron Winter, yeah. Aaron Winter, yes. right centre mid. Danny Blind at right back. So you might, you know, you might have had him overlapping on you. Richard Widzka was on the, yeah. in the field. Oh, yeah. Arnold Murin. There's a few big oh, names there. Yeah. And then one, one Scottish bloke called Ali Dick, which I think is one of the best football names I've ever heard. And <laughs> 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 well, I, I, funny enough, when you, you mentioned Ajax there, I remember when um, I went on to Andrew's show, It's Not Called Soccer, we talked about my career at Luton and growing up, we used to go to a tournament, a youth tournament in um, Amsterdam called the Blauwit Tournament, and it was hosted by Ajax. And so growing up then as a 15, 16-year-old playing against Ajax, playing against Aaron Winter. That's why I asked about Aaron Winter. He was playing in those tournaments every year when we used to go out there. So, again, that would have been, that would have been nice, obviously, if we got to the, that far and got to the final and played Ajax to, to play against a player who had played at youth level in a tournament in Amsterdam. Yeah. It's one of those things you never, you never know what, what would have been. And it is, no. I, I agree, you know, I'm, I'm totally on board. I agree. That kind of thing that happens to your club that's, not even in your hands like you did the thing that you were supposed to do and then for some reason the football gods decide that you know it's not it's not your day that is uh that is peak it's always us content so i'm glad you came along with <laughs> with that yeah, one but, but that but that was the thing as well like i said it was a case of where it was indefinite when they first did it with liverpool then it was to 10 years then it went down to six years so why not just go well okay five years and now they've reduced the Liverpool ban. Oh, let's go to the other English clubs, maybe three years. And then maybe like they've come down now to six years for Liverpool. Okay. Let's just give them a year other English clubs and let them back in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I, don't, I don't want to get political, uh, but you know, this is all against the backdrop of, uh, of Thatcher's Britain and, and the demonization of football fans. And it was actually our own government that, that banned us from Europe. It wasn't UEFA, which I didn't realize until, the Everton oh. fan told us that. It's quite an interesting one. You talk about um, a, a European clubs in that time and a lot of European fans you talk to, um, particularly clubs like AC Milan in that era, they actually say they won the European Cup, but they didn't actually. And it's quite funny you speak to them and they actually put a caveat or a kind of brackets after, afterwards by saying the English clubs weren't involved because in the early 80s, the English clubs were winning everything. Absolutely everything. Late seventies, early eighties. Um, you just got to look at Nottingham Forest. You got to look at Liverpool. So you got the European, the English clubs are winning everything, and then suddenly they go out <coughs> of it. Spurs. They're not allowed to. <laughs> um, so um, I'll leave that one. So, and, but they talk about they say they say it's kind of minus, but they do say it's actually minus the English English um, the English teams, which is quite an interesting comment in itself. Yeah, it's interesting to know what, what would have happened and, and how, particularly for a club like Everton, um, who were so good, you know, how a European win might have changed the balance of power today. But let's not talk about them. We're talking about Luton here. Uh, and I want to get on to the third one, which I think, and I, I'm sorry if this comes across wrong, but it's my favourite one. Um, <laughs> and it's something that I was, it happened around, you know, I should remember it, but I had no recollection of it. Um, so I had to look it up. Um, and my God, where do we even start with this? I mean, a clown. 
He was a clown. Is that what you think? I'll, I'll, I'll let Marv go because <laughs> he was I mean, playing at the club. <laughs> that's not a C word I would have chosen, but thank you for thinking of our <laughs> listeners. I, I had, um, I had, I think it was that season I had transitioned into the coaching side of things and I was working with the youth team at the time. It was my last, I mean, I think I was player coach. I mean, Joe Kinnear spoke to me and just said, um, look, long term, I feel that you're going to be an, an asset to this club and an ambassador in maybe helping to develop the kids. What do you think about if I saw like, gave you a role where we will register you still as a player in emergencies. But um, I want you to learn your trade of being a coach and work underneath John Moore. And then at some point, John Moore's looking to step aside and then take over the reins. And so that was, I mean, my job was more or less not playing at the time when Gurney come in and it was a case of where you just, it was always like a whirlwind. You're just thinking, what? what's just happened literally what in what has happened so let's let's just backtrack for a second because i'm sure any luton fans listen to this will know exactly what we're talking about but for the for the uneducated like myself um let's let's start from the from the beginning here so you mentioned john gurney so so who was he and what did he have to do with luton town football club i think andrew might know know more i know able to elaborate more and give more detail because I, I mean, I don't know who he was. I mean, I, I know it was, I think, I, I, let me correct me if I'm right, Andrew. He was a, a face or a front for a consortium who were going to take or buy the club, potentially. That's all we Yeah, the, idea, yeah the, the principle was, so they were sold by a Luton fan called Watson Chalice, uh, the family Watson Chalice, who had a big stake in Luton. Um, and yeah, he, he sold it to Gurney, the consortium. Um, who he had previously owned Bedford Town Rugby Club and as part of this consortium. And he'd make an absolute farce out of them as a club. Um, so then about 12 months later, he managed to buy Luton and be a front of this consortium. And within a matter of days, it, he was coming out with absolute all sorts of comical um, th- statements that he was going to do for the club. These included things like um, building a 70,000-seater stadium. There's no way in hell Luton need a 70,000-seater stadium. On um, stilts, was it? It's, he like, was then going to build it over the top of the M1, um, <laughs> which if anybody's yeah. been to Luton Airport, he was going to build it over the top of the M1. Bear in mind, Luton had been knocked back for a 20,000-seater stadium next to the M1 about 30 times in the past, in the 30 years before then. Um, the next thing he said he was going to do was try and diverse Luton. And he said he was going to build an F1 track um, around the grounds and in and out the grounds to try and advertise it, try and advertise Luton as a club. Um, so we've now got F1 tracks going around 70,000 seat stadium built on stilts over the top of the M1. So that's kind of what he was coming at. Um, sorry, Andy, uh, sorry, Andy. And he also told Nico, I mean, that's Kevin Nichols <clears throat> at the time, that he's going to put 25,000 pound slot out machines in the dressing room. What, like gambling machines? Yes, in the dressing room. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a really good idea, isn't it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I that. That. Yeah. Slot machines in the dressing room. Wow. Uh, I mean, he's an innovator. What can I say? What I did see, though, which was interested me, is that one of these uh, promises is that he was going to tie in with an NFL franchise and have NFL games. Now, fast forward yeah. 15, whatever, 20 years 
to Daniel Levy and Tottenham, who has an exact similar deal. And I'm starting to understand where he got his ideas from. Because actually, it was a genius idea, that one. Well, it was. But bear in mind, you're also talking 15 years ago. But 15 years ago, did anybody? there were less people caring about NFL. So I don't know if it had worked back then. But yeah, so Gurney came in and then with the head of his time. Yeah, (laughs) Um, and then bear in mind, Silverstone's only about 20 miles up the road as well. Um, So the idea is then he said, oh, what we'll do is we'll, we need to, so instantly, pretty much straight away, he also decided to sack Joe Kinnear um, and the assistant Mick Harford. So Mick Harford, absolute legend as a player, absolute legend um, as a player. Um, And Joe Kinnear, who well-known by football fans. Luton had done incredibly, I think, to get him at the club. Um, bear in mind, he had such success at teams, um, obviously Wimbledon in particular. Um, I don't know if he was at Newcastle before or after us. I can't remember. Um, but he'd been at some massive clubs. So we got him down here. He got us promoted um, back in the first season. And then he decided to sack him. I think it was by something very strange, like by our email or letter. Yeah. He sent him a letter and didn't even know it was coming. So he hadn't even spoken to him. He just got a letter saying you're terminated. And then hoo-ha began. Then he decided to create a, because obviously at that time was the big pop idol X factor. It was going bonkers, big brother. So he decided, I know what I should do. I should let, I should decide, get some applicants. And then what I'll say is I'll whittle them down to the top three. And then the top three um, names, they're going to be allowed to basically all the fans are going to be able to ring in and pick the new manager of Luton Town. That is amazing. And, and not for 50p a minute, right? Yeah, so I think he was going to make a lot of money out of it. Yeah. But, so, the, so the principle was he got it, knocked it down to Steve Cottrell, Joe Kinnear and Mike Newell. Now, the biggest joke of the whole thing was that Joe Kinnear actually polled 70% of the vote. He never got the job. So because he'd already signed pre-contract agreements with Mike Newell. So there's a bit of a a farce in the whole thing. Um, So not only did he make money on it, he'd also already pre-signed contracts apparently with Mike Newell. So he was ignoring it. But the other funny thing was all the Watford fans thought, brilliant. We're going to stitch him up here. So there was no rule on who had to ring. You didn't have to validate yourself. You basically had well, any club's fans ringing up, just <laughs> chucking their two cents worth in. So you had Watford fans, you had Millwall, QPR, you had all our rivals chucking their two cents worth in, picking our next manager. And there was Brilliant. nothing the fans could do about it. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and he actually called it manager idol? Or is that just what people call it in parlance now i don't but, know i think i mean manager idol i think was something which i think the people called it to be honest james right and <laughs> and we took what was this 2003 right yeah, yeah. but Andy, i think we just met that year actually but do you do you remember what was the club marketing that to you did you get emails do you remember what the communications from the club was when you first heard about it or was it just in the press and what was it everything was in the press 
everything was in the press. There was nothing to fans from what I, well, you can speak, Marv. Was there anything to players? There was nothing to fans. No. So basically, again, like I explained, I was on the, the coaching staff then. So it was a case where every single day, more or less, we were, I mean, the players didn't get paid or they got paid late getting paid late, which was, which was which was very worrying. And so the rest of the staff were not getting paid until like later dates and stuff. And again, like we spoke about earlier, the good thing with Luton is that when their backs are against the wall, we stick together. And the supporters and, and the players and the staff, literally, it was why he did this is because the supporters didn't buy season tickets. There was boxes and boxes of season tickets still unsold in the ticket office. And he was like going, well, what's going on? Why, why are we not selling tickets? And at the time, Cherry Newby was the secretary. She goes, to who? He goes, to the fans. She goes, what fans? Look, look outside. They, they're not going to come. They don't trust you, she was saying. They don't trust you. They're not going to pay money into this club, right, for you to take out of the club. They'll, they'll wait till you've gone. And that's literally what happened. They, I mean, they, we, they dug the hills in, rightly so, the supporters, and didn't buy a single ticket. Once now the 2020 came in and got involved and managed to take the club off Gurney, the very next day, James, it was down the road, supporters buying tickets for the season. Yeah, I mean, that's fair play to all the Luton fans, really. And anyone listening to this that, you know, this is news to or maybe has a vague recollection of it, this is the whole thing, incredibly, was documented by uh, the BBC in their Trouble at the Top series. So you can go on YouTube and we'll, we'll post the link on our Twitter feed so you can check it out. It's about 35 minutes long. I watched it this morning. It's a, it's a recent. Oh, it's interesting. And, it's a uh, great watch. It's a oh, great my, watch. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. It's just, it's awful. This, this bloke, he's just the most horrible bloke. And uh, was it, I can't remember her last name, but Sherry, the, the club secretary. Just, Sherry Newbury, yeah. Yeah, she, she comes across amazingly because she just cares so passionately about the staff, the fans, the club as a whole. You know what what a lady she is, um, but yeah, it's it's unbelievable that the hubris of them even letting a documentary crew come in, and 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 the worst bit is the um, the scene where they wait they have a press conference waiting to unveil Mike Donald, <laughs> manager. And you seen this right? But this I I don't know how if what recollections you have of that scene, Andy. But it's so awkward because you know there's they're having like hush meetings around some some printouts of all the call-ins and statistics and they're basically saying well, they've got mike newell there like mike newell's agreed to join and he's so clearly very uncomfortable with this whole concept <laughs> and they're like well we can't have joe because joe's in marbella he's not turned up and uh the other bloke we can't get hold of so we're going to employ you anyway but you know and they're trying to like oh, fiddle wow. the figures desperately and, and, and uh, Gurney's coming out to the press saying, oh, the whole thing's a disaster, like all the voting's fucked up and all this. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I, it, made, it made that Amazon documentary you've just been in look like just the most amazing bit of propaganda because uh, this, you know, it was, I mean, honestly, watch this thing. It's about half an hour long. <laughs> and you would not believe it was a real professional football club. Right, Jeff, bang on 12 o'clock. Computer's now, uh... Yep, we'll just see if there's any last ones came in. Um, there's still some people that left it till the last minute. But they all count. 
Now, we will find out at one o'clock, I believe, who the new manager is, and that will be from John Gurney, the managing director. From the fans that we've been talking to, the overwhelming favourite is, of course, that the man was sacked from this club just a few weeks ago, Joe Kinnear. He was the clear favourite and has been running ahead until this weekend. And one thing, we never expected this sort of climax to the poll. So you're now saying that Joe Kinnear is probably not the favourite? It's impossible to tell on the voting at this moment in time. Um, people are working away on the statistics. It's quite a complicated job. So does that effectively leave Mike Newell, the former Luton player and the ex-manager of Hartlepool, who we believe has been seen at the ground today? It, it, it's one o'clock or shortly after we'll be able to announce a result. Well, we'll come back to you as soon as possible with that result. Back to you in the studio. There's all sorts of chaos. People who are saying that they've voted, clearly voted, their votes are not reflected in the statistics. We've got more people saying that they voted for certain candidates than are reflected in the statistics. So we've got to sort this out. Yeah, but we don't know the this was 15 years ago. It's, we're not even talking 30, 40 years ago. This was 15 years ago this happened. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite astounding. It's quite it is, astounding. but in fairness, Mike Newell, even though he had an appalling track record at Hartlepool and he scored the lowest number of votes, he then came in and sorted the club out and got us promoted. So yeah. he obviously did something right and, and put together one of the best teams that I've seen for a long, long while with some fantastic players. I know he built on the back of joking here, but... Yeah, I mean, he had he had some fantastic um, success as a as a manager. So, hats off to to Mike Newell. Uh, well, I guess hats off to manager Idol too. Then you know it was, it was <laughs> successful. Would you have voted for Mourinho? I don't know, mate. Depends who else he was up against. I think I think I think this should be a thing. I think now, particularly during <laughs> lockdown, you should be able to vote for a new manager every single week for any club, and it could be anyone. I think what, any manager or any fan from any club. Just any. I mean, they've you already can, ruined. You can but, stitch. You could basically stitch Arsenal up. Is that what you want? Like Watford fans could have stitched us up. But they'd be. We'll be always doing it to each other, so it doesn't matter. Like, eventually, <laughs> it's going to even out, right? So absolute shitstorm. <laughs> yeah, but they're ruining football anyway with with VAR and handball. So why not just you know take it to its ultimate conclusion, and. Um, you know, let's just let's just let's just have random people running our football clubs. It 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 help the clubs with the revenue, wouldn't it? The phone calls, the money people vote. Okay, so that that is a question I had actually. So so obviously, you know, your fans are up in arms already about the ownership. Surely everyone saw this whole manager idol as as a complete joke. Who was voting? Like, and there must have been. I know you said Watford fans, and you know, more for them for spending their money. But there must have been Luton Town fans calling up and voting in this thing. So, you know, surely they've got to take some responsibility for that. Well, I, I heard, I mean, I don't know if Andrew, because Andrew can maybe comment on this. I heard that Joe Kinnear was way, way out in front oh, yeah. and was going to win yeah. it. That's what I, he that's did. What I heard. But, Luton fans but, voted because I think they realised we want the manager. But at the end, of the, even if Gurney goes, we're still going to end up with the same manager because managers stay. Now I think that the fridge—I mean, the fridge we used to call him the joke in it. it he had—he's very like set in his own ways, and I think it would be in a case where they sacked him. This guy sacked him, and then there was nothing against obviously whoever came in and took the club. But now that they would have said, "Oh well, Joe, look, you're winning it," and this guy's still fronting this consortium, Joe would have said, "Fuck you, 
I think he was in Marbella. He didn't, probably didn't pick up his. I think he didn't pick up his phone. Didn't answer it. And so he wouldn't. He wouldn't tolerate that. The fridge. He wouldn't be like saying, "Okay, you've got rid of me, and now you want me to come back after doing this pop idol or whatever they call it, this manager idol thing." No chance. And how much insight, was, Mark? Because what you don't see in this documentary is is what's happening with the players. And you said you'd moved into a sort of coaching role, but how much insight did you have on how the players would? were taking this whole thing. I mean, obviously they weren't getting paid, which would have been one of your first issues. Were any of them voting for managers? No. I mean, again, like I said, James, I mean, they, I think, I mean, we're getting their pay, but it was very late, right? Very late. So, I mean, as all the regular staff, everyone's got bills to pay, mortgages and stuff to pay. But the good thing was that, Again, I don't think, I mean, I mean, a lot of players could have just gone, you know what, fuck this, I'm going. Because it's like, I think it's the end of the season. I'm going now, I'm all pre-season, I'm, I'm leaving. But they didn't. They, I mean, they stuck together and said, look, <clears throat> we're all in it together. Look, we'll get through this. No one jumps ship. We'll get a manager in and, and, we'll, and we'll go again, sort of thing. Again, as it's a testament to, like I said, the, the Luton way or the Luton people, we just seem to, whatever it is when your backs are against the wall, just come together as a group and unify, united. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm, so we'd like to sort of try and work out a pattern and a theme to the, to the troubles of the different clubs we come on. And the clear one right now is that everything you've mentioned has been off-field issues, really, whether it's you know, banning legislation, finances, or some idiot chairman. Is that, when you think about Luton and the things that always happen to you, is, is that, do you dread that more than, say, I don't know, other clubs who just think, oh, this, you know, they never quite get the luck on the field? Or is there anything you like, because we, we're kind of moving towards the end now, is there anything that you remember maybe from on the field or transfers or, you know, blokes who always seem to score against you yeah, is there anything else that, um, that you would put forward as your case of why uh, Luton are hard done by more than most, most other clubs? I mean, on the field, as a, as a player, like playing and growing up, we seem to always not do well against Bournemouth. I don't know why. It was, it, I mean, Bournemouth seemed to be a, a bogey team a lot of the time when I played anyway. Uh, maybe it was me. <laughs> but like, it was a case where literally I feel that Bournemouth had some sort of like like spell on us where we just couldn't seem to to, to win and then and I, and, and I can remember to this day James that we were playing at home to Bournemouth and but they were a good team don't get me wrong they were a good team they played some really fantastic football um similar to ourselves and um, but we were playing at home at Kenworth Road and we started the game they were all over us don't know how, I mean, I mean, but we scored, went 1-0 up. And then, like, again, all over us, midway through the first half, we score a second. And now while this, this is, I'm playing in the game. And while we're playing in the game and we've got this two-goal lead, I'm still not feeling confident that we're going to win this game, which is, like, unreal. And then uh, to just before half-time, like, they miss a good opportunity we got the other end and go 3-0 up. 3-0 up in this game. Half-time, I think it was. 3-0 up. 
and like I think it was Lenny Lawrence the manager we come in half time and, and he was he I mean again my mind's a little bit vague and blank to what the team talk was like because I just knew the way they were playing if they got one they go and win a game I don't know how I mean I, I don't I mean I haven't spoke with any other players but I'm sure they, they must have felt the same way on the field the way they were playing we couldn't get near it was, like, it was the easiest way for me to explain it was like playing Barcelona but winning being feeling up and come out the second half and lo and behold within five minutes they get one they get two get three and they end up losing four three against them but like it was it was a fair result you, you know the way that how my experience on the actual field playing them, they were the better team in every single department. So it was just crazy. That just seemed to be that hoodoo I felt Bournemouth have had over us as a team when I was playing. How do you deal with that yeah, as a player? Like, because I know as fans we think, oh god, we always lose to them or whatnot. But you you like to think the players just see it as another game another set of circumstances. But does that get in your head as a, as a sportsman that, you know, you've had an experience against a team? Is there a little bit of self-doubt creeps in? I think so. I think so, a little, a little bit, yeah. I mean, most definitely. I mean, just particularly against them, like I said. And it might not have been, that the, that, that might not have been the case if they weren't playing that well. If you're playing, you're coming up against them and it's like, well, you've, and you're playing the game and you feel that, right, the game can go either way, that's totally different. But most of the time, Bournemouth had the time of being, I don't know if it's Harry, Rag, Harry Redknapp was the manager or whatever down there, they had a time of playing some real, real good, attractive football. And so you knew when you didn't play Bournemouth, you're going to come up against a good footballing team. So therefore, nine times out of ten, I mean, they would deserve the victory because they were a good team. The other one I would say is, talking about on the field is, I don't know what Marv thinks, but I do get the feeling that Luton are a bit of a graveyard of strikers. Um, I can't help but feel that probably about three quarters of the strikers we ever sign permanently don't score for us. We seem to sign strikers, particularly in the past 20 years, who we sign strikers into the club and they've been banging the goals in for another team and they come to us and then it it's like a graveyard. It feels like we just ruin strikers. And you just look at the conference days. Um, people are just off the top of my head. Barnes Homer, John Shaw. Um, we've had some... And they were banging goals in at that level. Um, and until we bought in somebody like Andre Gray, but we had to go through a lot of those to get to that stage. And, and I don't know, it just felt a little bit like that. Um, and we had to go through a lot of strikers until we got to James Collins. Now... Um, who's scoring the goals now for us. But it just feels like, you look at the history of Luton, and we bought in, I mean, still to this, well, before we bought Sluga, our record signing, Lars Elstrup, came to the club. But he didn't set the world on fire in terms of, it was a lot of money back then, paying pretty much a million, um, back in the kind of the late 80s, early 90s. And he didn't set the world on fire, but he should have done for the amount of money we paid. So, I don't know, it just feels like we have to go through a lot of strikers before we get a, a good one. Lone strikers, brilliant. <laughs> um, young players. We bring young players through as strikers, brilliant. Um, and, and even, I mean, Luton have had so much more success in defenders. I saw a photo the other day of, um, there's a team which has got, of Luton, young players in, which has got Jada Silva, um, Max Ahrens, Jamal Lewis, 
um, I think a few other players in there. So all all players who played in under the nines or under tens in this one team of Luton that were this creme de la creme of a team. And so you've now got one guy who plays starting for uh, Bristol, another guy who's starting for um, I think he's start, um, pretty much on the starting lineup now for Chelsea. Um, you've got Max Ahrens, who's about to go to Barcelona or AC Milan. Um, is it Ma- yeah, and Jamal Lewis has just gone yeah. to Newcastle, I think it is. Think so, so you've yeah. got a load of players in one who are all under the age of 20, who are just his one crop. So suddenly we can, we, all we make is, and James Justin, that was the other player in the team. So James Justin, who's obviously playing really well for Leicester and in the England team now. So we can do fullbacks and defenders, but it seems like we're a graveyard for strikers on the pitch. It's, that's what it feels like. I don't know what Marv reckons as a player. No, I, I mean, like, I, I agree with you. Like, probably more so yeah, buying, buying them. When you, like you just said, going yeah, out in the buy. market and buying them. Grow, homegrown and developing them. I mean, I don't think there's a problem. And loan players we're fine with. It's just yeah. buying. When we part higher than cash. But yeah, yeah that's on the pitch. <laughs> there you go. So, but a lot of it, yes, is off the pitch, and that's the feeling we get as a club. And the other one I do want to chip in with, right at the end, which you said we would be allowed to chuck one other one in, <laughs> is Luton Town were the only club that formed the Premier League but have never played in it. Oh, really? We were part of the, the clubs that created the Premier League, that formed it, that came up with the ideas in the late 80s, early 90s, went to die but we got relegated the season before it got created and we have never ever played in it ouch so all that money we set up we set the whole thing up and we were quite a big team back then we've been in there for a good 10 years um top top six seven finishes quite a few times but never we've never ever played in it it's overrated, mate. I wouldn't bother. <laughs> we'll swap. Now. <laughs> we'll swap, shall we? I'd take a year in the championship just to get rid of VAR. Um, <laughs> anyway, look, we, we, we get to the end of our time. So, guys, thanks, Sarah. That's been a really insightful look into uh, some of the worst moments of Luton. I hope you don't feel too down. It sounds like the future's bright anyway. It sounds like you've got a club where it doesn't matter what happens? The fans are, are resilient and, you know, you'll always be looting. You'll always stick together through thick or thin. And that's, that's what football's about, really. Um, before we go, just quickly, you know, we talked about your podcast at the beginning. If you want to uh, shout out some of, you know, where we can find those podcasts or, or your social media channels or anything else you'd like uh, the listeners to check out, then this is your moment, boys. Yeah. So, Marv, you want to go or me? You go, you go, you go. You're fine. Go on. Yeah. So what? So um, obviously it's myself and Marv. Just again, we both host it. My, my best eleven podcast available on pretty much every platform you want to download. Um, so iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google, any of those ones. Um, alongside, we got our own website where you can download it, um, and we've got some fantastic players coming up. Our Twitter handle is um, at my best eleven pod, um, and that's the eleven written. And our email address is mybest11pod at gmail.com. Anything else? Thanks very much, James. No, no thanks that's it. Much, Thank James. you, James, for having us on. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you, guys. It's been great. It's Always Us is hosted and produced by James Regal and Jamie McDonald. This funky theme music was written and performed by Morrison Marr, a.k.a. Moss Tones, on SoundCloud. 
If you've got any comments for the show or just want to share the pain supporting your team, you can find us on Twitter at It's Always Us Pod or email us at It's Always Us Pod at gmail.com. And of course, please support us by subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a rating and review. Thanks for listening and see you next time.